Justin. <clears throat> good morning, everybody. So good to see you. Hallelujah. Thank you. All right, you can be seated. My goodness, what an excitement there is in the house tonight, to this morning. Amen. How many of you have been in all the meetings up to now? Hasn't it been awesome? Praise God. We're so grateful for Billy coming and giving us this time out of her life. And uh, it's been such a glorious time. Wonderful ministry, wonderful word, and it's going to be even better today. Praise God. Amen. How many of you are here from uh, other churches? All right. I see you on the front row there. Thank you for coming. And I hope your church won't miss you. And you can just tell them you'll be back next Sunday. Uh, I was told that we had over a thousand people watching last night on, on the internet. Uh, and, uh, in addition to all the people that were here. And that's good. Isn't that amazing how that we can reach so many people beyond these four walls? Praise God. And uh, we had some of our international directors saying that they were watching it. UK, Australia, different places, Canada. And it's amazing how that we can touch the whole world right here from Crowley, Texas. Praise God. Isn't that amazing? A lot of times I get asked when I'm preaching uh, in various cities, where in the world is Crowley, Texas? <clears throat> and I say, well, you just have to come and see for yourself. Amen. All right. Praise God. Uh, I want to read something to you before I introduce Billy. Ephesians chapter 6. In verse 19, the Apostle Paul, obviously a great man of faith, but even he thought it was important that he have the body of Christ pray for him. And here, in writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, he says in verse 19, And for me, and this is what he wanted them to pray, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So that's what we're going to pray for Dr. Billy this morning. Amen. So stretch your hands out toward her. Father, in the name of Jesus, we set ourselves in agreement as a body of believers, as Heritage of Faith Christian Center. We pray for Billy that utterance will be given unto her today, that she may open her mouth boldly to make known the mysteries of the gospel. Lord, she's already told us in advance some of the things she'll be talking about this morning. And those things are so important for such a time as this. So we expect revelation. We expect it to flow unhindered. And we have hearts that are ready to receive. In Jesus' name, everybody agree with that? Say amen. amen. Let's stand to our feet in honor of Dr. Billy Brim as she comes and brings the word to us this morning. And a good, good woman, Jerry and Carolyn Savelle. It, it's you, you become like the people you associate with. And I want to congratulate all you 
who associate with him and with the pastors in this ministry. It's really important in these days that you stay hooked, you know, and not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It's a wonderful time. And thank you so much. And please be seated. If you have been here or you have not been here, you can get some of the things I've talked about with this little mini book, How to Rightly Divide the Word. And then God's Promises of the Land to Israel. These are just scriptures. All the scriptural promises. And then the judgment of the nations by how they treat Israel. And then there's another one, Jerusalem. There are two Jerusalems. Jerusalem above and Jerusalem below. So those are out there, I think. Hallelujah. And uh, Father, I thank you for that prayer they prayed for me. And I want to say amen. I receive it, that you give me utterance. So I did announce that I'm going to... um, talk today about the rapture of the church, and I hope God accentuates it with causing it to come to pass. (laughs) So if you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 4, hallelujah. I have a friend, and do you remember Clyde and Martha McGee? You know, he was a space scientist. That actually, he was on our board, and he's the reason why we're able to put all this around the world. Three men, uh, satellites used to go orbiting the Earth, and three men, one of them a godly man, Clyde McGee, NASA scientist, um, they fixed it so that uh, a satellite could travel in sync with the Earth. And then that way they could put a satellite here and a satellite there, and Clyde told me, that in one twenty-fifth of a second, then something can happen and we can see it on the other side of the world. So um, people have misused this technology, but thank God we use it and God uses it. So 1 Thessalonians uh, 4 and verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are falling asleep. That's what the Greek says. That you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Um, I told you, and I, I didn't bring Brother Hagin's book in him, all the Bibles for the church. All the Bibles to the church, but not all the Bible is about the church. And the part of the Bible that's about the church that tells you who you are and what you have because you're in him. And so Brother Hagin has a really good little mini book in him. I did that book. I edited his books for years. And so the best thing to do uh, to find out about yourself, you'll find it in the New Testament letters. The New Testament letters, this is the first one that was written. It was written by Paul to the church at Thessalonica because something was happening. Jesus went out that Sunday morning. Oh, glory to God. Last Sunday morning, guess where I was? At the garden tomb. Last Sunday morning. I was where it happened. Everything we believe based on the fact that he came up out of that grave, resurrected. Then he walked the earth 40 days and then he ascended into heaven. And those uh, angelic uh, companies, uh, people who accompanied there, they said, why are you looking up? Well, angels just don't understand men. What else would you do? I mean, you're going to look up. But they said, why are you gazing like this upward? He will come back in the same manner that he left. So the church, the early church was really looking for the coming of the Lord. He came in and out for 40 days, you know, 
And they expected him back soon, soon, any time. Well, then people started dying. And it, it had to be addressed because the people were worried. We've given our life and, and, and people are dying. I remember in the faith message, I, I worked for Kenneth e. Hagan. And Lynn and Mac Hammond had started a church, you know, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And people thought back in those days, I don't know why they thought this, but they thought with the faith message, you, you, you just... You just conquered every disease. You never got sick and nobody would die, you know, if you're believing for them. So people would start to die. And I remember that one of their really important leaders there in that church died. And the church was a little shaken. And Lynn and Mac would love to have had Brother Hagin come, but they couldn't get him at that time. So they got me. And I remember going up there and how God showed me to handle that. And, and, and this church was in the same way. So God gives Paul, he said, this is the word of the Lord. And he gives us this, this doctrine here, the word of the Lord, that they're, he doesn't want them ignorant. Amen. Uh, verse 14, for, chapter 4, 13. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are, the Greek says, falling asleep. That you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again... Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, this is doctrine, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, or the Greek is precede them, which are fallen asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and this is a shout of demand. This word in the Greek is a demand word. I think it'll be a shout that says, come up hither. That's just my idea. With the voice of the archangel. First thing you hear is the shout of the Lord. Second thing we'll hear is the voice of the archangel. And the third thing is the trump of God. And this is a shofar. And the Old Testament tells us this is the great shofar. And that it will be sounding a certain sound. Teruah. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, this Greek word for dead. Oh, Rick, I, I dare not. You're going to hear from Rick Renner in a minute. Hoi nekroi. It denotes dead bodies or corpses in the grave. So it's not just any dead. It's dead bodies, corpses in the grave. Then um, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. It's a comfort to believe in the rapture of the church. It's not at all a comfort to believe you're going through the tribulation. So it says that we're going to hear this, these three things, and then the dead in Christ shall rise first. Uh, my husband went home to be with the Lord uh, at only the age of 49 years old. And we had 29 years of marriage, and it was wonderful. I'm, I'm, but I have forgiven him at this time for not... <laughs> but anyway, when he, uh, when he, when he left, and uh, my son Terry, we were there in the funeral home with his body... He said, Mom, you could really preach spirit, soul, and body here. Because anybody that knew Dad would know that he is not at home in that body. People thought Kent was quiet, you know, if they didn't know him very well. Oh, no, not at home. He was a Cherokee. 
and he uh, loved telling his, we always said it was every, every Saturday morning we had a, a meal, a breakfast around our big round oak table. We had one every day there. There was no place to go out in our town. And I'm a witness to those, uh, you know, if he lived during the time of the buffalo, that Cherokee man would be telling his great buffalo hunt stories where he was the hero. <laughs> but instead, he's a football player. Anybody here like football? <laughs> and I better stand close to you so they can hear. So every Saturday morning, instead of a buffalo heroic story from this Cherokee man, he told about his heroic uh, uh, football hero, all the touchdowns he scored. <laughs> The old man still has it, you know. <laughs> Stories we heard every Saturday morning. Finally, after 20 years, he would look at me if I wasn't looking at him eye to eye for eye contact. <laughs> yes, Dad, we remember, you know. So, yes, what a story. What a so, day. anyway, bless the Lord. He wasn't at home in that body. He was not there, spirit, soul, and body. So, when you, uh, if someone passes away, their spirit absent from the body is present with the Lord. Now, when he comes back, the body can't go to heaven. It stinketh. But when he comes back, well, it does. When he comes back, it says that when he comes back, they will be with him. Those who have preceded and gone on. And, and we will not precede them. Uh, I know uh, George Pearsons was preaching at uh, Vanetta Copeland's funeral. And he said they ought to call cemeteries resurrection sites. So if I had word and I knew that the rapture was about to take place, I would like to go and stand in the Pryor, Oklahoma Cemetery. There's Kent, my mom and dad, my sister. That'd be great to see them come whoop with their bodies out of the grave and receive their glorified body like unto his glorious body. Wouldn't that be great? Hallelujah. Then, they, we will not precede them. Then, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. In this rapture, he comes in the clouds and we will meet him in the air. He does not put his feet down until seven years later. And we'll talk about that when he puts his feet down on the Mount of Olives. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, people who are, uh, they don't believe in the rapture. They say the word rapture is not in the Bible. Well, it's not. But you don't need the word rapture because you have the word harpazo. Now... We're going to use modern technology, and Rick Renner is going to speak to you from Moscow. This morning, if you remember last night, um, I said to you that Brother Hagen had me come up and uh, talk about uh, something in, in, when he was in Wisconsin. He called me up to preach, and it was about how Second Peter is prophetic, and it ties together with... Hosea to tell us when Jesus is coming. Well, I said, I don't have time to preach that here. But this morning I got this text from Rick's. And he said, I just watched your program. The first time it's aired on Victories on Sundays. I just watched your program. Interesting that I am right in the middle of translating both epistles of Peter 
for my new Renner's interpretive version. So Second uh, Peter is in there. And so I said, Rick, can you please help me with the pronunciation of harpazo? Now, the word rapture is not in the Bible, but here in this scripture, verse 17, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. And that word is harpazo, together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, that word is used in Acts 8.39. When they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. The word caught away is harpazo. That the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, passing through. He preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. It's also used in this, 2 Corinthians 12. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knows. Such an one caught up to the third heaven, Harpazo. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knows, how that he was caught up, harpazo, into paradise, and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. And then Revelation 12, 5. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, that's Israel, And her child was, her child was Jesus, of course, and her child was caught up unto God to his throne. And that word is harpazo. So, um, I keep, Rick and I are always texting each other. I texted him when our president asked all of the Americans to come out of Russia. And I texted him, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm going to stay here. This is where we're called. And this is where we're needed. So this morning, I told Rick, I want you to help me with the pronunciation of this word. So he sent me back this. And now here is Rick Renner coming from Moscow. I don't think you got this. I don't think I recorded, so I'm going to give it to you again. Harpazo means to snatch out of imminent danger just in the nick of time. It always describes a rescue operation just before something of a great calamity hits um it implies in first thessalonians chapter four that the rapture the word rapture there really is the word harpods will be caught up together now that's not all of it hmm didn't play at all can you listen to that much again maybe i can get it all to play this time I don't think you got this. I don't think I recorded, so I'm going to give it to you again. Harpazo means to snatch out of imminent danger just in the nick of time. It always describes a rescue operation just before something of a great calamity hits. Um, It implies in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that the rapture, the word rapture there really is the word harpazo, be caught up together. It stopped again. But anyway, you got it from the authority. I didn't just make this up. 
Now, uh, if you will show that bar graph again of the seven days, the chart. This is a simple chart for me to see about time. You know, God invented time. I was coming back from uh, Australia, and I had been over there, you know, preaching, and I called home to Brenda's house, and her son answered, Jared, my grandson. Some of you might know him if you watch our Wednesdays. And he, uh, he was a real questioning little boy. He had a thousand questions every day. And so I thought, I'm going to set Brenda up. I said, Jared, this is Mimi. And I said, I'm calling from tomorrow. <laughs> I said, uh, yesterday turned out all right. Don't worry about it. So uh, then on the way home, that was my first trip. I've been 10 times because I'm looking for a great move of God in Australia. And uh, it was prophesied by Wigglesworth, and I believe it's coming. So I was coming back. It was my first trip. And you can fly from Sydney to L.A. And you will arrive in L.A. before you left Sydney, according to the calendar and the clock. So time is very, you know. And so we passed the international date line. And the pilot came on and said, we've just passed the international date line. And when I did, I heard the voice of the Lord. I, hope, I didn't know I was going to talk about this, so I hope I remember it right. God invented time. Precisely, scientifically, he measured, he cut out a piece of eternity and called it time for his dealings with man. And then there was something about time will exist until his purposes with men are through. It was almost as if man had not fallen, we wouldn't even have needed time. The Bible says in Isaiah 57, he dwells in eternity. Amen. And uh, Roy Hicks came and taught at Rama. Imagine uh, a wagon wheel and God sits at the hub of the wagon wheel and that's eternity. And the spokes are time. And he can look down any spoke and see where past, present and future I'm not going to go into this, but actually he can do things for you today that are based on faith you're going to have tomorrow or you had yesterday as well. Tomorrow as well as yesterday. But we won't go there. So he cut out time. And in this time, uh, when, when Moses went to heaven for those 40 days and then again for another 40 days, uh, God gave him this. This is in the Talmud. This is part of the oral that was given to Moses Orally, and then he gave it to, to um, Joshua, and Joshua gave it to the next. That God gave to Adam a six-day work week. A thousand years is a day. A day is a thousand years. We know from Peter, and we know from Psalms. And he gave it to Adam to see what Adam could do with earth, like the creator who worked six days and rested on the seventh, the sabbatical, the Sabbath. So the six days are 6,000 years. They're divided into three sections. Two days of chaos, then came the written law, the written word, then two days of the written word, the, the Torah, then Messiah would come at the end of the fourth day, and then the last two days are called the end of days. They're 2,000 years, but they're called the end of days. When Jesus said, I come quickly, he's coming in two days to him. Two days. So that's quickly, and we're at the end of the second day. 
Now coming up, coming up is going to be a seven-year time called by Jesus, the Great Tribulation, uh, called by uh, uh, the Old Testament, calls it the time of Jacob's trouble in Jeremiah. And so that's the time that is called the Great Tribulation. And in that Great Tribulation, uh, Revelation 6.16 During that time, in the great tribulation, there will be a pouring out of God's wrath. And said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath is come. And who shall be able to stand? So there is a day in the tribulation time when the wrath of God is poured out upon the earth. Now people who would say to you that you have to go through the tribulation, then they would say to you, you're going to be here when the wrath is poured out. But that's not what the Bible assures us. Here's what the Bible assures us, Romans 5, 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Yes, praise God. First Thessalonians 1.10 And to wait for his son from heaven... Whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. First Thessalonians 5, 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation... By our Lord Jesus Christ. We have salvation from the wrath to come. Revelation 3, 7. This is Jesus talking. You remember? He talked with the churches, to the churches in a letter. Revelation 3, 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, and now verse 10. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Now, this is a note from the numerical Bible. Here is a universal hour of temptation from which some saints, at least, are to be kept. They are not kept through the temptation, but they are kept out of the hour of it. Out of the very time in which it takes place. This hour is the time of the great tribulation. So we are saved out of tribulation. And out of the wrath of God. I passed out one day uh, a comparison between... Did you pass those out? Did you print them and pass them out? They're out there. You can get them on the book table free. A comparison of... 
uh, Matthew 24 and Luke 21, a comparison showing you which part talks about the tribulation time and which tar- uh, part talks about what happened back 2,000 years ago. It compares Matthew 21 and uh, Matthew 24 and Luke 21. A man came out to prayer mountain one day and he was going to uh, confront me uh, about preaching that, you know, you didn't go through the tribulation. And he quoted me a scripture out of Matthew 24, which is absolutely for people who are here during the tribulation time, which will be the Jews and the nations. And so I thought, he doesn't know how to rightly divide the word. Doesn't know which part is here and which part is here. So that's a good comparison for you out there, if you, if you find, if you want to get it, it's free. Now, after we go to, after we are at the rapture of the church, up we go. And uh, where do we go from there? And we're going to go to the judgment seat of Christ. After the catching away, the body of Christ will appear at the only judgment she will ever face. The Lord has already met judgment for sins for us. Yet we have an appointment with him to receive rewards. And for the shedding of anything that should go that will not be with her as she's presented to the Lord. One scripture, and I didn't read it. It says that uh, there will be works, you know, and... um, some will go up in the glory fire. Uh, they'll follow you there. Uh, but, but the ones that, uh, some will be wood, hay, and stubble, and some will be gold, silver, and precious stones. And so the Lord decides, and, and up you go with all of your works following you, and you will be rewarded. Second Corinthians 5.10. For we must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether it be good or bad. Hallelujah. At the new birth, you became a brand new species, a new creation that never existed. You're saved by faith through grace and not by works. But after you're born again, the works you do count. And you will be rewarded for them. And many of the people who have been caught up to heaven and people that I've read after, uh, their robes literally show what their works were and how much they're decorated. And Jesse said that and several others have said that. And nobody's jealous. No one's jealous because someone has more. But your works will follow you. And Jesus said this in Revelation twenty two twelve. He talked about it. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. So you will be rewarded, and then I believe it's as his work shall be. You're not just going to be on a cloud playing playing the harp. You're going to have work and assignments in heaven. So I believe you will receive your assignments too. I'm going to have a traveling ministry. I, I'm going to flit around through the planets as he develops them and have a traveling ministry. Do you think he's going to let those planets go to waste? He didn't let that little boy's lunch go to waste. Fishes and loaves. And so they're out there for something. And oh, it's going to be wonderful to be in eternity and have a part in it. Bless the Lord. Now, Jesus called himself 
a bridegroom. We're not going to read all the scriptures, but I think I put them down. Maybe I didn't, but anyway, he calls himself a bridegroom. And uh, we're going to go then to be presented to the bridegroom. We're going to be a glorious church presented. We read about this presentation, uh, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy... For I espoused you to one husband. We're the bride of Christ. And he's the husband. That I might present you as a pure virgin to Christ. We're going to be a glorious church. Hallelujah. Other scriptures you can read about this are 2 Corinthians 4.14. And then we're going to read here Ephesians 5.25 through 32. I'm reading the New American Standard because it uses her. King James doesn't, but I'm going to read it. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. You you haven't found that yet? You can use King James. It'll be five. It's Ephesians 5, 25 through 32. You can use King James. It doesn't matter. There you go. I just use this because uh, it uses her. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her and cleanse her by the washing of water of the word that he might present her to himself, that he might present the church in all her glory having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. The picture here is of an Eastern bride. The Bible is an Eastern book. And the brides were very prepared. You can read, we won't go there, but you can read Esther chapter 2, verse 12. How she was prepared before she was presented to the king. For one year, they put these kinds of oils on her. And for another year, these kinds of perfumes. And then she was presented to the king. So the Lord himself has been preparing us, cleansing us, washing us with the water of the word. That he might present us to himself as his bride. In all her glory, Ephesians 5, 27... No spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. We are going to be a glorious church. As hard as that is to believe, God is going to have us ready. So I'm looking for some great things to be happening. I know they're going to happen. There's going to be a glorification of this church. I really do believe Tommy Hicks' vision. And if you've never read Tommy Hicks' vision, we have it online. Tommy Hicks' vision. Billybrim.org. You can see it lots of other places. That he, he's doing this. Let's start with verse... Uh, well, let's read it again. Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That's what this word movement's been all about, to wash us. I don't know about you, but I got a lot of things washed off of me. 
that he might present to himself the church, the glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be... Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I lost my place here. I've been trying to go back between there. But that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So after, after we are presented and prepared for our presentation, he's the most glorious bridegroom ever there was, and he's going to have the most glorious bride. We're not going to be half in bed with the world. We're not going to be half in bed with the world. I said it again. Hallelujah. Now uh, turn with me to Revelation 19. Hallelujah. I'm getting so excited. I saw those pictures of Jerry and Carolyn when they got married. Such a handsome couple. Have you ever shown those here? I don't know, but they're so, so. And there she is all dressed up. Kent and I eloped. So I never, I guess it was fun. But uh, <laughs> we were going to the same college and it came uh, uh, Thanksgiving weekend and, and we just made it a real Thanksgiving weekend. So, uh, but I never had, you know, a wedding like that, but I'm going to get one. I'm going to get one. Revelation 19. Hallelujah. And let's start with verse five. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye servants, all you that fear him, great and small. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude. And as the voice of many waters. And as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for our Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Hallelujah, hallelujah. That's going to be our wedding music. I know that. It is not written here, but I simply know it. I know that Handel went into a room for three weeks. And with the, he came out with the manuscript. It was or with the notations. It was, it was tear stained. And he said, heaven has visited me. So I know that that is our wedding music. You talk about a wedding. There never been a wedding on earth that's going to be like that wedding. Did you, did you watch the wedding of Charles and Diana? Maybe you're old enough that you did that. Ooh, it, it, it won't hold a candle to what our wedding is going to be. 
Selah. Hallelujah. I heard the voice as voice of mighty thundering saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. You're going to wear fine linen garments. White. And he saith unto me, Write. Talking to John. And he saith unto me, he has a heavenly visitor, a heavenly being is accompanying him and interpreting what he sees. And so he says to John, write, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he, this interpreter, this heavenly being saith unto me, these are the truth sayings of God. They're true and they shall be. And they are not an allegory. It's an absolute fact of what will be. And I fell at his feet to worship him. John fell at the feet of this heavenly interpreter. And the heavenly interpreter said to me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren. He's one of the saints who had gone on to heaven. That, he's not an angel, this one. He's, a, he's, a, he's one of those who's gone on to heaven. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I love to teach prophecy. It's the testimony of Jesus. And then there's going to be a scene change. And I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes are as a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. When he comes for us, he comes to make love. When he comes at the end of the seven years, the Jewish time for, I don't have time to teach you about, all time is divided into seven year periods called Shemitah cycles. And things happen at the beginning and the end of them. And we are in a Shemitah year. And you might be watching for some things on Rosh Hashanah. Now, bless the Lord. Here we go back. His eyes, verse 12, are as a flame of fire. It's the end of the seven-year period. It's the end of the Mary Supper of the Lamb period in the heavens. It's the end of the tribulation period on the earth. I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. He's coming to judge and to make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. 
That has to do with judgment, but I'm not going to go there. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Who wears fine linen, white and clean? The saints at the marriage supper of the bride. So he's coming back on earth on his horse. He's riding his horse of power, white horse of power. And we're behind him on our white horses. And notice we're in heaven, not on the earth. The armies which were in heaven followed him upon their white horses. Some people who teach end times pick up something that came from a man named Oregon. Way, 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 way back there. And he said, everything's an allegory. There are no white horses. If you heard that kind of teaching, it's wrong. There are really white horses and I've got one. Sister Jeannie Wilkerson, whom you knew very, very well, and you know what, how she was a prophetess of God, and you know how that Brother Hagin would call her up. She prophesied to him, and he thought, he put more, uh, I think, value on the prophecy she gave him uh, than almost any. And so I was in Finland in 1980, and the girls called me. My girls said, Mom, you've got to get home. The prayer seminar that Brother Hagin has every February, has, it's gone, it's in its third week. And it's amazing. you gotta, you got to come to this. So I was in Finland, had gone to Soviet Russia, and I came home, it was still going on. And I went, but, but the thing that had happened already had already happened. And one night, so I went over to Sister Wilkerson's house for her to tell me about it. And uh, she said that she was in service, Brother Hagin's it's this prayer seminar. Those are real Holy Ghost type meetings. And she saw a man on a white horse ride through the wall in the Rooker Auditorium. You remember the meetings out there? And she said it was Jesus. And he was on his white horse. And he rode through that wall. And, and then he rode up and down all the aisles and went all around. And she said, sir, what are you doing? And he said, I am inspecting the troops. I am seeing if their swords are sharpened. The sword out of our mouth. She said, then about that time, Aretha tapped me on the shoulder, Mrs. Hagen. And she said, he wants you to come up and tell what you're seeing. So she came up and she told it. And the man on the white horse, Jesus, is still there. She goes up and tells what she's seen. And he rides up to Brother Hagen. And he has a scroll in his hand. And he takes that scroll... And he taps Brother Hagin on the chest like this, and it goes into him. And he said, these, sir, are your orders until no demon will stop you. Satan himself won't stop you. And your own inadequacies won't stop you. And he rode off. He could be here today. Is your sword sharpened? So, another time, Sister Wilkerson, who was a woman of prayer, she broke her leg, and she could not kneel. And she loved to kneel. 
in prayer. And so she's going to the hospital. She told me this. I'm sitting in her house. And she was not lie. She was a very well-to-do woman, a very educated woman, really dignified woman. And she said, I was, they were driving me to the hospital in, in the car or ambulance, I don't know which. And I noticed, I look out the window, and there is a white horse galloping along with us. And she said, Lord, what is this? And he said, that's your horse. And he's going to stay with you until you're able to kneel again. And uh, she said, we, in, her, in her room there, right out the door were glass doors with a beautiful garden. And she said, he stayed right out there in the garden. She said, he ate grass. And she said, the Lord said to me, that's your horse. He said, you think things are personalized here on earth? You might have a monogram shirt or monogram towels. He said, everything's personalized for you in heaven. He said, each of you have a horse. And he said, your horse is personally fit and gated to you. And he said, you, Jeannie Wilkerson, have a spirited horse. <laughs> and no one can ride him but you. And he said, the pace of the horses of my children are based on how closely they followed me on earth. And if they followed me really closely, then they will be up front behind me when I'm coming back on my white horse. And he said, if they followed far behind, they'll be in the back. So you've still got a little time to increase the pace of your horse. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise his name. Um, I want you to read. Let's go on reading here. Now he's coming back to judge and to make war. Verse 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that wish it, with it he should smite the nations. Remember the nations group that are going to be on the earth? When he judges them, he's sheep and goat. Okay, they're down there. The Antichrist is down there. He has garnered the, the nations and turn back to Revelation 16, 16, and you'll see what he's done, the Antichrist. What he's done with the nations. Revelation 16, 16. And he gathered to them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. Now that's really not the Hebrew tongue, that's Greek. The Hebrew tongue is Har, that's the word for mountain, and Megiddo. Har Megiddo is the mountain of Megiddo. And it's right there on the Jezreel plain at the city of Megiddo, and the Jezreel plain that goes all across uh, the middle of the state of Israel. Napoleon called it the perfect, uh, the perfect uh, battleground. And so he's gathered them together. He came in there. He's also in Jerusalem. We're going to see that. 
And uh, he's gathered them, and, and, and what he has done is surrounded that city. I want you to turn, we may go back and forth, turn to Zechariah 14 as well. Now, Zechariah 12 and Zechariah 14 are going to uh, describe a battle that happens at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. He's going to come back on his white horse, and he's going to put his feet down on earth this time. So let's look at uh, chapter 14 first, Zechariah 14. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. Verse 3. Now the Antichrist has got all the nations. He's trying to wipe Jerusalem and Israel off the map. They're still trying to do that. He's trying to destroy them. Verse 3. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. Right from where he ascended into heaven, his feet are going to come right back on that mountain which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there will be a very great valley and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. So he comes, we're behind him, and this army that, ha- that Satan has surrounded, he's, God told Sister Wilkerson one time, he said there's going to come a time when Satan, God, And the church are all in agreement. Jesus, Satan, Jesus, and the church. We're going to be glad to leave here in the rapture. Jesus is going to be glad to receive us. And Satan is going to be glad we're gone. (laughs) Because it has been our job, our work, as we talked last night, to reign and rule over him. And to hold back the forces of the Antichrist until we're taken out of here. He can't even do all the things he does in that seven years without us gone. So he's got them surrounded down here on earth. Jerusalem, he's going to wipe them out. He thinks he's got it. Ah, At last. Right now he's fighting for his survival. He thinks he can, he still thinks he can stop God's word from coming. And then the false prophet is going to say to him, AC, AC. There's a blip on the screen, the radar screen. What is it? Is it a plane? Is it a bird? Is it Superman? No, it's him. And he's on a white horse. It wasn't an allegory. And they're all coming back behind him. Glory to God. And then you can read with the Jews. Let's just take a look here in Zechariah. Remember, they they have recognized Jehovah at this time, but they have not recognized Jesus until this. And here, let's look at uh, verse 9 of chapter 12. Both of these are the same same war, the battle of Armageddon. Chapter uh, 12 and verse 9. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come up against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David 
and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. This is when he pours out his spirit upon them. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one in the bitterness for his firstborn. This is when the nation is truly born in a day. This is when they see their Messiah. Godly sorrow, the Bible says, worketh repentance. And that's what he's poured out upon them, the spirit of repentance. And they mourn, and then this is not really in chapters and verses as God gave it. Go down to chapter 13, verse 1. And in that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. In that day they shall be seeing him for whom he is. They shall be in a day that nation will be reborn as a nation. Bless the Lord. So then he's going to set up his kingdom on earth. You can read about that and... Uh, especially Zechariah 14, how the nations will be coming up during the uh, Feast of Tabernacles and we go into eternity future. Now we're going to look at the bride and where our home is. I have a very dear friend and mentor, Dr. Hilton Sutton. Uh, I loved him very much and when he was going to heaven, I was in touch with him every day uh, by telephone. And uh, we we loved each other and... um, there were some things we didn't see the same. One of them, he called me one time and he said, I see that you're, uh, I did not believe that when it says, um, it talks about the, this, uh, the Antichrist coming about the end times things. And it talks in Ezekiel 38 and 39 where Russia and Persia and other armies are going to go up against Jerusalem and up against Israel, the mountains of Israel. And it says in a time of unwalled villages. And he taught that that would be a time of peace. And I I didn't think it was a time of peace. I believe a war cycle started, and I'm not going to tell you all about why I believe this, but a war cycle started like in 2011, and it will go right on until this war. Uh, They're not at peace. Israel's not at peace. They're not going to be a peacetime. Unwalled villages is just a time thing. They used to build all their villages, all their towns with walls. That's just telling us it's going to be a time when they don't build walls anymore. Now, that was one thing, and he called me about that, and I said, Brother Sutton, here's the way I see it, but I tell you what, I, if you don't want me to preach it, I won't. And I didn't until he left, and boy, then I hit it hot and heavy. <laughs> I loved him. I have the handkerchief uh, that he had on him uh, that had been laid on him for his healing. Anyway, I have some of his crystal. He loved to collect crystal. I have some of Brother Hagin's crystal. And uh, it's, you know, dear, but they lost, left. Didn't mean anything to them then. And so that's how it is with earthly things. But he did not believe that the bride, the church was the bride. He thought the city is the bride. How Jesus married a city, I never could figure out. But... Since he's gone, I'm preaching this. Now, he based his thinking on this. Revelation 21.9. And there came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls who were laden with the seven last plagues. And he spake to me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, 
the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Now, this is a Hebrew idiom. If you studied Hebrew, and I did, they have idioms, and this is one of them. If you say Israel, you can mean the land, and you can mean the people. The land and the people are known by the same name. They go together, the land and the people. Now, Matthew 3 and verse 4. And this is... Speaking of John the Baptist. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. He did not eat bugs. <laughs> On a certain tree in Israel, there grow this carob seed. And that's what this is. And the carob beans is what he ate, the carob from this tree that's named here. And he, he wouldn't, he, he ate kosher. He didn't eat bugs. <laughs> so it's funny how people try to understand the Bible anyway. So John the Baptist, talk about him. And then verse 5, Matthew 3, 5. Then went out to Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about went out to him to hear him. Now, the city of Jerusalem and the buildings didn't uproot and march down there. When it says Jerusalem, it means the people of Jerusalem. Then Jesus, you remember when he went outside the city, Matthew 23, 37? Jerusalem can mean the city, and it can mean the people of the city. Jesus sat there, and we all know about this in Matthew 23, 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. The buildings didn't stone the prophets. The people stoned the prophets. So the Bible calls Jerusalem the people of Jerusalem. It calls the people of Israel Israel, and it calls the, the bride weird heavenly Jerusalem. I'm taking you to heavenly Jerusalem where the bride is. Bless the Lord. We were, Galatians 4.23, and I think I, I didn't uh, have you turn there. I didn't give this, but let's turn there. Is that it? Let's try it. He who was born of the bondwoman was bond, and the, he of the free woman was by promise. Then go to verse 24. For this is Agar, is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answers to Jerusalem, which is now. And go on with the next verse. Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. We were all born in Jerusalem. John 3. Let's turn to John 3. And I, I go into these things in my little book back there, Jerusalem Above and Jerusalem Below. Do you have a, a reference Bible? You can see, if you do, that 
in, uh, when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, there is the term born again, and it's used in another place. But here, the uh, Greek says, born from above. Except a man be born from above. So we were, do you have that in your reference Bible here that it says, there's the pastor witnessing. And then it tells us Jerusalem, which is above, is the mother of us all. And then we see in Hebrews 12 that that's where the role is kept. That where we're born is kept in Jerusalem above. Hallelujah. So when he says, I'm going to show you the place of the bride, he shows him heavenly Jerusalem or new Jerusalem. Uh, We're citizens of heaven right now. You're born from heaven. Philippians 3.20 says we're citizens of heaven right now. Our minds, you quoted it, our minds and affections are to be placed there. Colossians 1, uh, 3, 1 through 4. We are seated there according to Ephesians. We are heavenly creatures. We are actually aliens from outer space. We are in the world, but we were born from above. Our home is heavenly Jerusalem. We're to keep our minds there. We're to rule from there. Citizens of heaven. I carry a U.S. passport, but I'm a citizen of heaven. We're heavenly creatures. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And our eternal home is the new Jerusalem. Hallelujah. And so, um, I, I, I shared you last night that I believe some things Macmillan does in his book. Um, and he said this. Israel will administer the earthly kingdom and will be the head of all nations. But over all will rule the exalted church as the executives of God. Hallelujah. Brother Hagin gave a prophecy in 1981. I remember it well. He prophesied, and I, I read it quite often. There's a, how many of you have known someone recently pretty close to you who's gone to heaven recently. Stand up. Count me, I'm standing. There's a whole lot of people going home. Just like that song David Ingalls wrote. So you may be seated. So Brother Hagin has a prophecy that I, I've been referring to lately and giving it to some of my friends. I have two friends, one of them, Larry and Loretta Allison, and their son um, pastored their church. And New Year's Eve, he went to bed, and New Year's morning, he didn't get up out of bed. And then I have another friend, Dr. Tim Henderson, pastors in uh, near Mattoon, Illinois. And he, his wife went to sleep one night, and next morning she wasn't there. She'd gone. Neither, neither case was sickness or disease. So in this prophecy that Brother Hagin gave, um, he, he, he talked about different things and reasons even that he calls some out. And I'm going to read you just a little bit of that prophecy. Some have been disturbed because some have been called out of this world and into the next one. But yes, says the Lord of hosts, there are others that shall shortly be called home. 
So don't tuck your head and moan, but rather rejoice because God has called some of his own home. You see, he will continue to prepare them to reign in the ages to come. And some of them could not be prepared in this life. Further preparation must be made to rule in the ages to come. He also had a reason. I didn't bring the whole prophecy. And we know this is Brother Halverson. I often talk to him in his prayer. and What a prayer warrior he was. Actually, he went to Mac and Lynn Hammond's church. And Mac was giving his yearly vision. And he called Brother Halverson up to pray over it. So Brother Halverson and his wife Fern and Lynn and Mac Hammond are praying up on the platform of this large church. And I mean Brother Halverson, he would just get so powerful and fall under the power. And they all fell under the power. Then after a length of time, Fern got up, Matt got up, Lynn got up, and Brother Halverson didn't get up. And at first they just thought he was under the power. And the music started playing. And then he didn't get up, and he didn't get up. And I was at home, and they called me, and I heard the music. And they called me from backstage. And he, he just stepped off. And Brother Hagin said, he just got so far out there he couldn't get back. Like Enoch. But then in this prophecy, one of the parts was, some of them are called home because there was no further advancement on them on, for them on earth. We're going from glory to glory to glory to glory. And I can tell you truly, if any man on earth ever hit the epitome of an earthly glory, it was Brother Halverson. So he just stepped on up. So that he could receive reward and promotion. Bless the Lord. So there will be the bride of Christ as an entity. Bible says in Ephesians throughout the ages. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. The church will give God glory. That's what it says in Ephesians. Now, this is a prophecy given by Kenneth through Kenneth Copeland. I call it the ecstasy prophecy. For these are the days of the greatest revelations of all. In the future, out in the distant ages that you know nothing of, I'll give you a glimpse of what it shall be like. Never again, never in any age, Never in the future again will there be the likes of you. You will walk the streets of the cities of the planets and the stars. I built the universe for you, and you'll travel it with me. And all of those that shall be born in the future on the earth, and all the years to come, as natural men and natural women populate, they'll say to one another, there comes one of the kings. There comes one of the special ones. There comes the image of the master. Oh, that we had lived in that age. They are so special. They get the best of everything. Their father keeps them in his bosom. Oh, we have it blessed and we have it good. But it's because of them 
They walk in the glory realm. They walk in the light realm. We have joy. They have ecstasy.